0: Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Every once in a while, uh, I get to share this platform and this stage and this, I guess they call it a pulpit, but it's more of a music stand uh, with people that that I respect and that I appreciate, but um, few that I trust more and love more than um, Ben Rosenbush. For those of you that don't know, Ben... Uh, helped start this church uh, almost nine years ago. I remember uh, at a Chipotle on Lindale, I said, Ben, um, what would it look like for you and I to start something new? And uh, a lot of the seeds that Ben planted um, are here, and uh, the fruit of that has been born in so many ways. And so, would you please welcome my really good friend, Ben Rosenbush? I'm starting completely undone from those kids. That, that, uh, that's the message of God to us. I, I think of Isaiah and a child will lead them. God comes to us through our kids here. That's the impartation for today. So that's a beautiful thing. This moment has never happened before. I remind myself of that all the time. The Creator who has made you, all things, and me has made this moment too. Today is the day, this here and now, and the Lord has made it. Let's be in it together. Let's step into the available joy that's in it. Let's awaken to God, to each other in this moment. My name is Ben, like Micah said, if we haven't met. I'm a husband, father, worship leader, singer-songwriter, and I love collecting rocks. Anybody else? Rocks? Okay. Yep, we're, we're into this. Okay. It's always good to be with you because um, I do consider you guys all my extended family. Very near and dear to me. I love that this community is a place where it's safe to journey from wherever you are, wherever you've been, wherever you're going. That's something to celebrate, something to open to and let let it shape you. So we're truly free, free to link arms in this space in this given now that we've been given. And so let's journey from that space together. And it's appropriate that we talk about journey because our text today begins on a journey as well. Jesus traveling with his followers to Jerusalem. And there he's asked some hard questions that we're asked today. Today's sermon's called, We Are Neighbor." the unexpected story of the Good Samaritan. So as I begin, let's stand together. I'm going to read this text over us, the whole story from Luke ten twenty-five through 37. Take this in. A legal expert stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you interpret it? He responded, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But the legal expert, he wanted to prove that he was right, so he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, He encountered thieves who stripped him naked, beat him up, and left him near death. Now it just so happened that a priest was also going along the same road. When he saw the injured man, he crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. Likewise, a Levite came to the same spot, saw the injured man, and crossed to the other side of the road and went on his way. A Samaritan, who was on a journey, came to see the man where the man was, but when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. The Samaritan went to him, bandaged his wounds, tending them with oil and wine, and he placed the wounded man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took two full days' worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, take care of him, and when I return, I will pay you back for any additional costs. What do you think? Which one of these was a neighbor to the man who encountered thieves? Then the legal expert said, The one who demonstrated mercy toward him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Let's pray together. God of mercy, we are here with you together. And your story is before us. Help our eyes to see anew and our ears to hear opening to the life within your word. Speak like a father to us this morning with your word of hope that kisses wounds. Gather us like a mother in arms that nurtures strength in us for what is now and what is next. Meet us like a stranger on the road who has come to reveal your love in ways we don't expect and teach us like a child how to welcome this wonder of a faith that heals. Amen. You can have a seat, friends. Jesus is on a road trip. He's on his way to Jerusalem and speaking to his followers and parables as he goes along the way. And the story of the Good Samaritan is one of those parables he tells. Here we encounter a legal expert who speaks up with a bold question. He's someone who's come to test Jesus and to discredit him to get the best of him. We know this story pretty well. It's a story of the Good Samaritan. It's like so familiar. It's almost like hotel art of Christian stories that's on our hanging on our imagination. It's nice, expected, uncontroversial, and kind of everywhere. But of course, this narrative that's kind and teaches us to care for others is good, but there's more to it than that, thankfully. Not unbecoming of Jesus, the master storyteller, this story conceals a radical call to love beyond all boundaries. This story confronts and shocks and invites the hearer into a radical welcome of the other. Whomever is our other for each one of us today. And so this is the story that we know so well, the Good Samaritan. It misses the deeper story that Jesus wants to tell. So, my hope is that we don't miss it this morning, that the Spirit allows us to hear it afresh. So, let's step into that together. As we begin to take another look, we encounter two major things that happen a setting and a pivot point. There is a face-off that begins, a setting where there's a challenge met by challenge, and then comes an about-face, a pivot point where Jesus turns the world of his hearers upside down, revealing the way that leads to life, revealing that the one who is our other is our neighbor. In short, Jesus answers the question, who is my neighbor, with my neighbor is me. We are neighbor. So let's walk through the text together, step by step, and listen for this. Let's begin with a face-off. It reads, a legal expert stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to gain eternal life? That this person was a legal expert is pretty significant. Back then, for the Jewish people, there was no distinguishing between religious law and civil law. So this legal expert is probably best understood as a representative of the religious establishment, someone who has some measure of invested authority and stands up to challenge Jesus now. The question he poses isn't some, like, simple passive inquiry. He's not like, hey, Jesus, I'd love to get your idea on this uh, eternal life thing, you know. No, it's, it's a confrontation between these two. The word "test" here in Greek is ekpirodzo. Ek if I pronounce that right, ekpirodzo means putting to proof God's character and power. It's the same word "test" that you've probably heard when you hear Luke four twelve, when Jesus answers Satan in the desert when he is tested. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So, this legal expert's question concerning eternal life is aimed at discrediting Jesus dishonoring Jesus. It's a question insinuating that Jesus must prove his worthy character and his rightful authority. And that sets the whole tone from the story. It's the source from which it flows. But Jesus gets the upper hand. He counters this blow by answering a question for a question. Classic Jesus move. He asks the legal expert, what is written in the law? How do you interpret it? As in like saying like, hey, you're the legal expert, right? I mean, what do you think here? At this, the legal expert recites from the Shema, which is the Jewish prayer from Deuteronomy, and adds some Leviticus in there too, and sums up the whole law in line with what Jesus actually believes himself, that you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the right answer, Jesus replies. But he adds in a checkmate move do this and you will live. That last phrase sets this snare, the legal expert intended for Jesus snapping back on him. Because Jesus tells him, look, you can't just know this, you've got to live it. You've got to practice this. Do this and you will live. Jesus rebuttals his question by saying that the threefold path of love: love God, love your neighbor, love yourself when put into practice, is the path to eternal life experienced in the here and now and the life to come? And so this story could have ended there. I mean, Jesus won the match, of course, but the guy doesn't know how to take a hit and walk away. So he's back for more, adds another confrontation. The legal expert wanted to prove that he was right. He said, and who's my neighbor? He's intending to trap Jesus again. He's not asking for Jesus to instruct him on like a new interpretation of neighborliness or something. He's seeking to solidify social norms of the day, the ones that define safe requirements for what it means to be a neighbor, the ones that preserve power and privilege for the few at the exclusion of the many, these boundaries, of course, then keep a fixed order social order intact. A priest was over an Israelite. A man was above a woman. A Jew was above a Gentile, and of course, a Samaritan. Not surprisingly, then, this legal expert, he wants to intend to ensnare Jesus with either upholding that or upsetting it, cementing the hierarchies of exclusion by narrowly defining who is my neighbor. For the legal expert, neighbor means the one that looks like me, the one that talks like me, the one that thinks like me. But Jesus, who's graciously stopped along his journey to talk to this guy, holds a new and different interpretation of neighbor. And he tells a story about a man on a journey. Let's hear it again. A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He encountered thieves who stripped him naked, beat him up, and left him near death. Now it just so happened that a priest was going along the same road. When he saw the injured man, he crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. Likewise, a Levite came to that same spot, saw the injured man, and crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. Now I should add this. Jesus' followers who are listening to this are super revved up at this point. Here, he's in a face-off with this religious elitist who's telling a story about other religious elitists who totally miss what it means to follow God. The suffering Jewish man is like lying in the ditch, dying, nobody's coming to help him. So his followers are all revved up, expecting this story to erupt in a solid stick-it-to-the-man story, down-with-the-system story, where the underdog finally wins the day, where the commoner is crowned king, and the regular Israelite finally gets a win. This is due in part because Jesus' followers are used to the kind of this one-two-three punch inside a parable. It's a familiar mode of storytelling where the first two characters represent highbrow antagonists, And then a third comes along the scene, the young son, hero, protagonist. And so this, friends, this was about to be the amazing, famous story of Jesus called the Good Israelite. And here you might expect comes the about face, a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came to where the man was, but when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. Jesus just made everybody's enemy the hero. Jesus just made the outsider, the foreigner, the existential other, the hero. His followers were tracking with every word, and then he says, Samaritan. I can just imagine some, like, about-to-fist-pump arms just kind of, like, slowly go to the side. You see, Samaritans were regarded as unclean people, the New Interpreter Bible comments that they were descendants of mixed marriages that followed from the Assyrian settlement of people from various religion, uh, regions in the fallen kingdom of the north. What that means is they were a people formed through a history of blending races, blending religions, and this made them the other to the Israelite. I mean, if we look back and then in the previous chapter in Luke, you're going to find James and John, two-star disciples of Jesus, sons of thunder, they're going out ahead to look for lodging on this journey. But then they're turned out by some Samaritans because they're going to Jerusalem. When that happens, they turn to Jesus and say, look, do you want us to just call down fire from heaven and annihilate them? Excuse me, what? followers of Jesus asking Jesus if they should pray for some genocide not their best moment Jesus rebukes them of course he sets them right and they keep traveling on but that serves as quite the compelling context doesn't it as he does this about face in this story when Jesus calls out the Samaritan instead of the Israelite they must have been pretty mortified Because now they understand who they are in the story. They're not the good Israelite that doesn't actually appear. They're not the hero. But rather they're the wounded man left to die on the side of the road. They're the beaten and the bloody one that God is now rescuing through unexpected compassion and contact with their enemy. There's a professor at Fuller who's a good friend who personalizes this perspective that the disciples must have had. He writes this, We are not the compassionate hero. We are the helpless victim. It's the cultural and religious other who most fully embodies the kingdom in this story, not the people of God. It's a Samaritan who comes to their aid. It's a Samaritan who showcases God's abundant generosity and care. It says, The Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, tending him with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on a donkey and took him to an inn to take care of him. The next day he took two full wages worth and gave that to the innkeeper. He said, Take care of him, and when I return, I will pay you back for any additional costs. It's a Samaritan who reveals God's love to the ones professing to follow God, professing to live out God's love. After this, Jesus asks the legal expert, what do you think? Which one of these was the neighbor to the man who encountered thieves? And he answers, the one who demonstrated mercy toward him, begrudgingly. He can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. He just says, the one who demonstrated mercy. The nerve has stuck deep. The Samaritan is revealed as the true neighbor. Jesus makes his point. Everybody hears it. The question, the answer to the question, who is my neighbor, is everyone, even your enemy. And this revelation has come to save you from the brink of death. We belong to each other. Our hate and fear cannot be allowed to separate us. If we do not embrace each other, even our enemy will be left dying in the ditch. Will we receive our enemy as our neighbor? the story says our life depends on it. The question, who is my neighbor, must be transformed into the understanding that we are all neighbor, that we belong to that, that we are neighbor. Miroslav Volf, who has a great name and is a Croatian theologian, lived through the genocidal experience of the Bosnian-Serbian war. His other... Is a Serbian, his Samaritan is a Serbian, which makes this simple statement that he writes in Exclusion and Embrace, a great book, all the more profound. The other must be a part of who I am. The other who is different than us, who is foreign than us, even our enemy, comes to save us as one who is inseparably a part of us. There's a song by one of my favorite bands, my brightest diamond, called Supernova that I sing over myself again and again to let it change me. It's helpful here. I love you, though you're different than me. You don't look like me. You don't talk like me. You don't. I love you, though you're foreign to me and unknown to me. There's no, no, no assuming. I love you because you wanted to be more of you and nobody can ever... Ever try to be a copy? I love you, though you're different than me. You don't look like me. You don't talk like me. You don't. I love you, though you're foreign. To- So, what if we told this story right now for today? Putting in characters in this story that represent our others of today, putting in characters we need to sing this song to. There was once a Christian man driving through the night from the Twin Cities to Chicago who stopped at a through town stoplight and was held at gunpoint. The gunman dragged him from his car, soon to be stolen, shot him, beat him bloody within an inch of his life, and left him to die under the street lamp. A wind blew. Gas fumed and rolling off the nearby freeway, he didn't move at all. He only moaned like a roadkill animal thrown to the median. No cars came for some time, and then the twin lights of an SUV passed over his body. It was the Archbishop of St. Paul, who had taken the same exit as the wounded man and was now looking out through his passenger window at him. When he puts the car in reverse, changed lanes and carried on when the light turned green. A second car arrived, not far behind. Behind the wheel sat the senior leader of an evangelical denomination, headed for Chicago, too. At the stoplight, his eyes grew wide with shock. He stepped out. Other than his hazards blinking, he was silent. But the moment soon passed as the green light ushered him back into the driver's seat and down the road. And this is where the expected hero should appear. The faithful, non-clergy Christian hero, the new Christian who is above corruption and unafraid of talk and revolution, the unhindered Christian who insists on justice because the true gospel beats within. This is the Christian who will save the wounded man, of course. This hero who looks a lot like you and me, bearing an uncanny resemblance of our best imagined self. That's not who shows up. A third car comes along, slows down, there's something on the side of the road. It comes to a full stop at the green light. And the person driving this car is whomever is your other, your Samaritan, mine, Perhaps this car has a Make America Great Again bumper sticker on it. Or maybe Feel the Burn or I'm With Her across the back instead. Perhaps it's a sticker with a mix of religious symbols spelling the word coexist. Maybe the car touts a Christian fish. It's got KTIS glaring. Perhaps this person has a cell phone tucked into her hijab. Maybe this person is clad in military camo with a gun case in the car. Maybe this person wears a mink coat and sealskin boots. Maybe this person is dressed in drag. Maybe this person is the one who makes you and I unsure. The person who, if we're honest, makes us feel a little uncomfortable. Maybe even, in some small way, an enemy who makes us afraid. This person is our other, your other, my other. And this person is the one who has stopped for you and me. The driver rushes out of the car in a blaze toward you, the wounded one pulling forward by some primal compassion. They wrap both arms around the bloody mess of your body and impossibly lift you in the back seat, get into theirs, and hurry toward help. At the hospital, gurneys and nurses rush to save your life and ask about insurance. Your Samaritan pulls out a credit card, my Samaritan, and says to them, charge it all here. And then your Samaritan and my Samaritan write down a cell phone number on some informational pamphlet they have taken from the front desk and pulls an ERN nurse in close. Call me if he needs anything more, your Samaritan says. I'll pay for it. And presses the number into the nurse's hand before going off. What do you think? What do I think? Which one of these three is a neighbor to the wounded one? To you? To me? To us? Jesus concludes this confrontation with the legal expert by saying this simple yet radical call, go and do likewise. This isn't simply what we might come to expect as go and And be kind to others, which is good and right. But it's deeper. It is, go, you who are the wounded one, who have been visited by your Samaritan, and receive your enemy as your neighbor, the one who has come to save you from the sin of separation. Receive your enemy as a part of yourself, and you will begin to be made whole. As we close and before we sing one last song, there's an African spiritual notion known to us, known as Ubuntu, that might be really helpful. Ubuntu means I am because we are. I am because we are. The story of the Good Samaritan is Ubuntu, it's not the story about who's in and who's out. It's instead the story that claims that everybody's in. It claims that even my enemy is my neighbor. For my neighbor is me. For we are neighbor. I want to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray and we'll sing. Jesus, the one who heals wounds, take the frayed ends of our disunion and knit them together. Heal our wounds. Form us again as one. Teach us this love that knows no bounds, for we belong to you and to each other in you. Teach us what it means to embody Radical welcome so that we might come to know radical healing. It's in your name that binds us together. We pray. Find us online at www.awakenedcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com Backslash awakening community. Or on Twitter, community. See you next time. time.